As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Marky made like four or five great saves. I thought that was a turning point for our team. We had a lot of energy on the bench, gave us some momentum, and we just took over the second period. I thought we pressed really hard, and um, we got a couple, and we you know shut it down in the third. I thought it was a great game by Marky and uh, throughout the whole lineup. Top to bottom, Canucks get a team effort as they defeat the St. Louis Blues 4-3 in a game that looked like it was getting out of control. That was Jake Vertanen you heard from, but those were the words of JT Miller postgame last night. Miller a straight shooter, and he was one of the shooters that beat Jake Allen to help the Canucks beat the Blues 4-3. The Vancouver Canucks up 3-2 now in this best of seven. The Stanley Cup champs are on the ropes, Drancer, and what a night of hockey. I mean, we could do a pod on each of the periods and fill, like, hours of content. We won't go... Uh, that in depth, but uh, that's what we do here on the VanCast. We're here to break this thing down. What a night of hockey. <laughs> I, I spent most of the second period laughing. Like, I just spent most of the second period laughing. And, you know, I had a I had a text today from, um, you know, a, a team official joking with me that, you know, I, I, should, I could write a 10,000-word oral history about the second period. And I responded, I could write a 10,000-word oral history about analytics guys reacting to the second period with key <laughs> goals from Jake Vertanen and Tyler Mott. Uh, unlikely sort of heroes, especially with the way Vertanen had been playing up. He introduced some chaos. He helped that top line claw Vancouver back into the game. And, you know, Tyler Mott had the Tyler Mott game. And good, like, man, if anyone has deserved to have a moment of shine this postseason, like, it's got to be Mott. Uh, you love that. Like, you love to see it. And and boy, what a high leverage win for the Canucks. Like, we know that the Canucks can only beat the Blues on a knife's edge, right? Like, I think we know that. I think we know that the Canucks are, at the end of the day, a top-heavy team. And the Blues have demolished the top end of their lineup. Like, that's that's a problem. And yet, 
They've set themselves up. They've now earned two chances, two chances to eliminate the Blues. I still think it's going to be tough. Like, I by no means think any Canucks fan should look beyond this series. Like, win number four, that's not coming easy. But, you know, they've given themselves two chances. They've been full value to this point. They're, they're going to need every second of those two chances to defeat this team. They put themselves in a position to get there. Yeah, and one of the storylines coming out of the back-to-back losses was, you know, they looked a little fatigued. That they, as a team, they looked like they were, you know, running on fumes. And both teams had to play back-to-back in games three and four. But the Canucks had played a a previous series against Minnesota. The Canucks looked a little tired, I thought. And we wondered if a day off would do them well uh, just to get away from the rink, to allow the coaching staff to make necessary adjustments, all that kind of stuff. And sure enough, the Canucks come out. Look, they're aided by a trapezoid penalty 10 seconds into the game. Like, what a weird... Like, it, I mean, there was so much bizarre yeah. stuff in the game that that kind of got lost. But 10 seconds in, Jake Allen fans on the puck and then, you know, has to play it in the trapezoid and boom, the Canucks get an early power play. Uh, but, you know, they made adjustments and adjustments were sort of the key. Like, Craig Berube to that point had pushed all the right buttons, had pulled all the right strings. Some of it forced by injury, but, you know, made a goaltending switch, that had panned out. Had brought guys into the lineup that had stepped up and played key roles for them. You know, he had moved his players around, he had manipulated the matchup, all that kind of stuff. Like, to that point, Craig Berube had done a pretty good job, I thought, of adjustments, and that's what playoff hockey is all about. So, Mm -hmm. Canucks lose back-to-back, they need something a little different, and man, (laughs) did they get something a little different uh, and it started in the pregame warm-up. And let's get right into this, because the players are the ones, ultimately, that get out there and get it done. But Travis Green, uh, and I, I know you've written about this extensively, uh, kind of you dove right into everything that went on from a coaching perspective, starting with that warm-up. And look, I, I went in-depth on the post-game show. I uh, was on the radio again today. I, I think that was Travis Green's best coaching game behind the bench of the Vancouver Canucks, and I think it had to be. And so credit words do. Yep. Look, you and I spent a lot of time on this pod sort of making fun or having fun with some of his quirks and the way that he deals with us in the media. And, you know, we had him on the podcast uh, during the COVID layoff and all that kind of stuff. And sure, there are times when the knives are out and, and we see things that we think, you know, he could have or should have done better uh, as a coach or a coaching staff. But when he steps up and delivers uh, when the heat is on, look, I'll be the first to praise him. I thought that was a hell of a coaching job uh, from the Vancouver Canucks last night. Yeah, a rare, like a rarely good coaching job. And and partly it was rarely good because A, Markstrom gave him an opportunity to look smart, right? You yes. can't look yeah, smart yeah. in the NHL without great goaltending. But, but also, but also, you know, you, you reconfigure your top line, put Jake Vertanen with Pedersen and Miller, reunite Miller and Pedersen, who you'd split for the first time all playoffs to start the game. And they score on their very first shift, 29 minutes into the contest. (laughs) And then they give you another goal two shifts later. You know, unbelievable. Like, unbelievable. There's obviously luck involved. There's always luck involved in hockey. But clearly demonstrates excellent feel, right, from the coach. He basically ran three different lineups over the course of the game. Like, he ran a lineup to start the game and jump and surprise the Blues. And it worked. They outshot them 7-2 to to open the contest. And played, I thought, their best period of five-on-five hockey in the first period. Were unlucky to be down. 
Second period, things get away from them. He change, he throws a change-up lineup to try and sort of switch momentum. It works immediately. It clicks. The Canucks don't just eliminate a two-goal deficit. They take the lead before the end of the period. And then the third period, he comes back with his most predictable, safest, most defense-oriented lineup, and they completely shut down the Blues. Every button he pressed, every lever, every Hail Mary pass was caught. Like, unbelievable. And, you know, you... You have to be lucky to be good in the NHL. You especially have to be lucky to be good against a team with more talent than yours, a team that's deeper and meaner uh, than they are. Uh, but, boy, like, you, I mean, unbelievable. Like, I don't think I've ever seen uh, – I honestly can't think of a coaching performance I've seen like that in, a, in the playoffs. Uh, honestly, I can't. Like, it's really hard for me to think of. And the other thing that I've never seen, like, I've never seen it, not once in my whole life, have I seen a coach have his players roll through warmups as a feint, like as a bluff to throw off the other team? I've never seen that once. And, you know, I did write about it today. I do think that the whole sort of move was aided by the secrecy within the bubble. I don't think you could really pull that off in Vancouver. Although one thing I sort of wanted to get into the into in the article, but I, I didn't have time to. And I, and I figured I'd bring it up here is I do sort of feel like we had a trial run for this in Minnesota when there was that Pedersen injury. Do you remember right. yeah. how everything ran that Pedersen injury day? Like, so Pedersen gets hurt by Greslick. We all travel to Minnesota and we show up at the rink that day uh, for practice, right? Fly from Boston, practice that day at XL Energy Center. It's a suspiciously well-attended optional, right? And Pedersen's not in the room afterwards, but there's Duke and there's a ton of stuff going on, right? And all of a sudden we get to this point where, you know, Pedersen's finally made available and we all just figure like, oh, well, Pedersen wasn't in the room and he's being made available at the backdrop because of the Greslick hit and the controversy that Green started, you know, like they wanted to protect him. They wanted to make sure that he was briefed and prepped prior to and he speaks Next day, optional skate again at the morning skate. Pedersen never takes the ice. Travis Green and you get basically into a fight over <laughs> over Travis Green's refusal to confirm same lineup. Right? Am yeah. I right? Was that yeah. the fight? Yeah. You were like pushing him on same lineup and he's like refusing to answer your question basically. And you guys like beefed about it a little bit. Right? Not like too hard or anything, but just like, you know, there was, yeah, there was on, some words exchanged on, off camera. On, on our beef scale, it was pretty minor. But it, but, it, but it happened. It did happen yeah. as you as yeah. you described it. Was, it happened. It, yeah. it was be it was beyond me. Um, <laughs> and so and so we show up at the rink and he puts Pedersen. Now I think Pedersen was a true game time decision, but Pedersen sort of half heartedly goes through line rushes. I'm sitting with Shorty, which is rare, so I have a good view of a monitor while Pedersen starts consulting with uh, Canucks physiotherapist. And Green is on the bench for the warm-up skate, which almost never happens. And, and of course, I've spent a lot of time watching and monitoring Canucks warm-ups over the course of the season, so I noted that immediately. And Pedersen ends up not playing. And the Canucks had disguised their intentions from the wild, and I think primarily from the wild, not from us. Primarily, the, Green didn't want Bruce Boudreaux to understand that he would have that big an edge that night. And I, when I, when he hit his lines on Wednesday night in Calgary, 
I just thought about that as this trial run. You know, when you coach in Vancouver, you deal with a level of scrutiny and observation of everything you do well above and beyond what, for example, I dealt with in Florida, right? We don't miss anything, really. I mean, we miss things here and there. But for the most part, if in, an, in the ordinary course, there's enough eyes on practice that you can't really hide, right? We're going to notice if a guy's missing. We're going to notice if a guy leaves early. We're going to notice if uh, there's a yelling. Like, we're going to notice everything. We're, we, we spend some time socializing. We don't always pay attention to every drill, something Green sometimes calls us out for. But, <laughs> but we're going to notice the major stuff every time. Someone in the pool at least is going to notice basically everything. In the bubble, no one's noticing anything. But but also, because Green has to deal with that day-to-day in Vancouver, I think he's more considered of all these angles. Like, you talk about removing numbers off practice jerseys, right? You talk about comporting yourself in a certain way. Like, I think Green would be more hyper-aware of those factors and how they can contribute to him winning games than your average coach. And and the reason he'd be more attuned to it, I, in my view anyway, is that he's more used to dealing with a level of scrutiny that almost no other coaching staff in this NHL has to on a day-to-day basis. And I think he's calibrated it. I think he's decided that he's willing to take the shots when they come that are the inevitable result, in my view, of, of handling yourself in, in this kind of information vacuum. And he's just going to focus on winning Last night, anyway, we saw the potential impact. Like, we saw why he's willing to eat that cost. And it worked for him. It paid off. He won. Tip of the cap. Uh, It was truly, like, I don't think I've ever seen a performance like that. I don't think I've ever seen a a bluff like that in a game. Certainly not in a playoff game. Uh, I, I was honestly just sort of watching the game and my jaw just kind of dropped as things just kept falling in his favor after a variety of smart bets and look as an information hound like it drives me nuts that these practices are still private and that we can't get the goods that we're used to and yet i got time for the gamesmanship before game two and i love the fact that like warm-up matters like it's warm-up but it's also warm-up before game five against the defending Stanley Cup champs. It's playoff hockey and everything matters. And you're starting to feel that. Like, as a guy on the front line of the post-game show on the radio, like, you can feel it. Like, these games matter. This idea of meaningful hockey in March. Like, I want to puke now when I think of how often we heard that phrase and, you know, how low <laughs> that how low that bar is. Like, I'll, right. take, I'll take game five and now game six against the Stanley Cup champs in a bubble in Edmonton in August over meaningful hockey in March and that just sort of became that mantra that they spat out repeatedly and good on them they've got it to this point now you know and and I look at Travis Green and his night in totality like yeah the warm-up but you know what like just the fact that he was willing to budge like at times he's been a little stubborn and you know it's his team he gets the last call I get that but you know our job as analysts and observers you know, when we see things that we think this team could or should do better and we, we, you know, throw it out there, I was a little worried that after back-to-back losses, he was going to stick to his guns and stay with the same lineup. And so I thought that him showing a willingness to change... Look, Adam Goddard barely played and didn't play much in the third period, but it was just the idea that, you know, he told me when I asked the other night that the bottom six was fine, right? Like, it was cold, it was... Cur- like, he didn't want to get into a discussion about his bottom six... 
But then he goes and he makes a change in his bottom six. So I think that tells you right there what he truly felt about the play of the bottom six. The first face-off. Like, he's got to fill out his lineup sheet. He puts Horvat between Miller and Besser. Like, make Craig Berube react, right? Like, I thought maybe that was just an opening face-off thing. But, you know, it started from the drop of the puck. And I thought he was pushing all the right buttons. And then when you said, you know, a safe lineup in the third period, I'll, I'll disagree a little bit. Brandon Sutter played one shift in the final 15 minutes. Brandon Sutter, foundational Brandon Sutter, tried and true, tested veteran Brandon Sutter in the lineup most nights to protect third period leads. Brandon Sutter got parked. Travis Green shortened his bench as he often does. He finds nine guys that he thinks are going, nine guys that he can rely on. Jake Furtanen was one of them. Brandon Sutter and Antoine Roussel weren't. I think it's a seismic shift in the way that Travis Green approached playing with a lead deep in a playoff series to go with Jake Furtanen, to let Brock Besser play and play a lot because Besser's playing hard and and there's a belief that you know he can win board battles and those types of things. Quinn Hughes, I mean, they're without Edler. Hughes plays half the third period and spends almost all of his shifts, as he usually does, in the offensive end. I loved the Canucks' third period. Like, I really, really liked the third. I mean, I liked the second half of the second period. But with no goal scored in that third, like, I didn't ever feel that they were under siege. I mean, the Blues were going to push, and they got their goalie out. And, you know, like, yeah, there were some chances. But, damn, I like the third period. And, again, I'll go back and think that Travis Green made the right calls in terms of his personnel. And on that night, if he felt that he had guys that were going better than Brandon Sutter, who took a penalty and put them down a man, and the Blues scored. Like, I don't know if that factored into it. Whatever the case, Sutter and Roussel, two veterans who usually get the benefit of the doubt, they didn't see the ice much in the third other guys did, guys that were surprises, and the Vancouver Canucks get a victory. So, uh, you know, you credit the players, but I do think you have to credit the coach too. Yeah, 100%. And I agree with you about the third period. I thought, I mean, they only surrendered four scoring chances against. They outchanced the Blues, according to the data found at Natural Statric. They outshot the Blues five on five in that period. Um, lot, a lot to like in terms of how the Canucks played, continued to push. And, you know, point taken in terms of the sort of safety analogy. I I sort of meant that he went back to familiar lines, but you're right. They kept pushing. There was no shell game played in that third period. And then, you know, we do have to mention, or or I think we should mention, the other sort of subtle change, which was, you know, the pairs were different too to start the game. They didn't stay different, partly because Edler got hurt, right? And that sort of changes things up. But we did see... For the first time in this series, the Canucks play Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson, or sorry, and Chris Tanev, excuse me, uh, as the primary matchup for the O'Reilly line, right? Yeah. Like, we finally saw that, and I, I, you know, I I get in a mind's eye, in your mind's eye, why Green was reluctant to try that originally, right? Like, it makes sense that he wanted to, you know, I mean, we've seen what O'Reilly does to everybody in battles, right? I can see why you didn't hypothetically or or theoretically want Quinn Hughes to be the guy, you know, on the receiving end of the business that that Ryan O'Reilly glides around the ice doling out to everybody he encounters. But, you know, Quinn Hughes ended up playing 834 against O'Reilly, and the Canucks came out roughly even by shot attempts. O'Reilly still outshot him 6-3, to but... There wasn't a ton of quality. The scoring chances were close. The high danger ones were even, basically. And 
Quinn Hughes was, you know, Quinn Hughes passed another test. What else would we expect, right? Like, what else <laughs> yeah. do we expect oh, at this point? Totally. Yep. You know, Quinn, Quinn Hughes, go play the best line in hockey right now, head to head, as a, in a matchup role. Uh, you know, you're 20, you're fine. And, you know, he did better than anyone else has, right? He did a lot. He certainly did better than Stetcher and Edler did in games three and four. And, uh, you know, that was a that was an adjustment that Green had to make. You know, the lineup, the adjustments, it all looked like a guy who'd spent an awful lot of time running his hands through his hair while looking at a whiteboard and just trying to figure it out. It was accomplished at a knife's edge. I, I don't know that it was, you know, it, it Berube is an excellent coach and, and a very straightforward guy with the media. And he's won a cup and he's done it all. And he's got this team prepared and the Blues have played well. But, you know, his adjustment was he's able to throw Jaden Schwartz up with O'Reilly. You know what I mean? Like, that's unbelievable. They've lost Tarasenko. They're shorthanded up front in a lot of ways, even though they were less shorthanded yesterday than they have been previously. And, you know, he can put Jaden Schwartz up with the O'Reilly line. It changes the whole complexion of the series. Green doesn't really have that option, especially without Toffoli, right? Like, Vertanen with Hughes, uh, with uh, Pedersen and Miller, like, that's the only change he can really make. And we all kind of know that Vertanen can't play 18 minutes a night at five on five. You know what I mean? Like he just, he, he gives up too much. He, his details aren't quite there uh, defensively to play in that role, especially with the minutes that that line's seeing against the likes of O'Reilly, you know, but in a cameo appearance, right in a three and a half minute stretch in that second period with the team trailing, he was the perfect break glass in case of emergency wild card for the Canucks to play to switch that game and he broke it open and you know I had some texts today from some people being like um did Jake change your mind last night since he stepped up in the biggest moment and I'm like no like we've all known that Vertanen has this in him right like this isn't a huge surprise we know that Vertanen can drive offense we know that he's got speed and size um, we know that he can throw bone rattling hits when he's motivated like we know that he can be a game breaker it's just that when he does it, some fans are like, we were right all along, and I don't get that. I see it, and I'm like, why are you not closer to this more consistently, man? You know, like, for me, I find it maddening. But for the Canucks, it won them the game, and that's all that matters at this time of year. Like, Vertanen helped them break open a game at precisely the moment they needed it to be broken up. With him and Pedersen and Miller on the ice, the Canucks outshot the Blues 6-1, or 5-1, sorry, they had six scoring chances because they missed the net on one of them. And they scored two goals, two goals on three shifts. It, it changed the entire complexion of the game. It's the perfect way to use him. I, I liked his goal. I mean, his goal was a crappy goal. But, you know, for him to get a goal, uh, first career playoff goal. But I like the assist on the Miller goal. Like, he outbattles Colton Pareko. That's not an easy thing to do. Like, Jake Furtanen wins a board battle for the puck and then gets it to the front of the net, and, you know, Miller's jamming away at it, and obviously it goes in. Uh, but for Jake Furtanen, like, yeah, you want goals and those kind of contributions, but, you know, you want some sort of consistency. And you're right. Like, people shouldn't be doing victory laps based on one game. Uh, it's on Jake to back it up now. Like, yeah, it was great. They needed that in that moment, but... You know, consistency has plagued him throughout his career, obviously. So back it up. Like, do it again. And, you know, this was my whole point about the bottom six and how there's no expectations offensively. 
Like, look what happens when they do get contributions. Antoine Roussel scored against Minnesota. They won that game. Sutter and Tanev scored in the elimination game. They won that game. Stetcher scores in the first game of this series. They win that game. Mott goes off and Vertanen scores. They win that game. Like, when they get depth scoring, it goes a long way to producing the results you're looking for. You're not going to expect it from, you know, the same guy, and it hasn't been, right? Like, their depth scoring has been spotty, but there have been contributions, and on those nights when they get the contributions, they stand a pretty damn good chance of winning. So Jake Vertanen has to back it up and do it again, and if they advance, you know, keep it going. So I, I, I'm encouraged. I liked what I saw, but I'm with you that now's not the time for people to be, like, patting themselves on the back about being right on Jake Vertanen. It was a glimpse of what's possible. You know, who knows if Travis Green stays with that or if he uses that as a card that he can play if things aren't going well for them in game number six. Like, I'll be really curious. So all this talk and all the praise for Travis Green, you know, he too has to sort of back it up now. Like, I'm with you. It's not getting any easier. The Blues aren't going quietly. I thought if they had gone down 3 nothing, like, the dynamic might have been a little different. But they know they're in this series. And, you know, again, last night, like, there were long stretches there. Uh, final five or six minutes of the first period, most of the first half of the second period, where it looked a lot like it did in both games three and four. So uh, there's still work to do for the Canucks, but full credit to them. They've played the Blues hard all season long, like the regular season and here in the playoffs. And, you know, what an opportunity. They've presented themselves here with this chance to punt the champs from the Edmonton bubble but uh, I, I do sort of think that that hockey cliche about the fourth win being the toughest, oh, that one is, I think it will apply so in this series. so true here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This one's not over. And, you know, we might see a different goalie. Like, we might see the Blues switch goalies again. I'm sure we're going to see a reaction from Craig Berube. And, and Green's going to have last change. Like, how does he handle that? We might see Toffoli back in game six. There seems to be a possibility. So, you know, there's an awful lot still up in the air. There's an awful lot of twists and turns that this series can take yet and will take I'm pretty sure I think this is going to be an absolute knife fight for the Canucks to get through here I think the Blues go back to Bennington look like their season's on the line here this guy delivered a Stanley Cup if you know if there's no tomorrow beyond tomorrow I think you have to go with your guy but do you I I think so I you know Jake Allen's a solid pro and he's had a nice season He's a backup for a reason, and there was always that chance that a shitty goal was lurking around the corner, and Vertanen found it at the right time last night. Yeah, if your chips are like pushed all to the middle, I think Jake uh, Jordan Bennington is one of those chips. Like I, I, I would be shocked at sort of the long-term effects for Bennington and the Blues moving forward if he remains on the bench, even though, you know, the Canucks beat him twice in this series. Canucks have now beaten Jake Allen. Like, I don't think, for the, you know, for the Canucks, you talk about a confidence boost. It doesn't matter who's in goal for St. Louis in Game 6. So you've beaten both of these guys now. So, you know, neither of them can be in their heads. But yeah, man, if I'm Craig Berube, I think you have to go back to the guy that got you to the Stanley Cup a year ago. Boy, I don't know. I think if you put Bennington in, my concern if I'm Barube, is what happens if I'm down early? Like, in this bubble, we won the Stanley Cup. A bunch of our guys got COVID during Phase 2. You know, we we took five games to ramp up and find our game at all, right? And Jake Allen's beaten this team twice. Bennington has not yet defeated them. They seem to have his number. They laugh about going blocker side high on him in post-game availabilities and they don't even do it in a cocky way they do it matter of fact um 
what is the psychological impact if I go to Bennington, my my ace in the hole, and he lets in one or two early, and they're those familiar goals. Like what what happens? Like, but I see. I, like, I, I don't think, think you can a- have that. I don't think you can have that approach in pro sports. You can't be. What if? What if it goes south? Like, how could you leave your ace? Like the Dodgers wouldn't leave Clayton Kershaw on the bench if he was healthy. If they had a sure, game sure. seven start, like this isn't game no, seven, no, no. I get, but 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 if there's like a top of the order that just crushes Clayton Kershaw all the time, you know, would you would you consider in a single game in a bubble environment, right, where you're worried not just like for me if I'm Bates, I'm not worried about the two goals early. That's whatever. I can come back from that. I've got the better team at five on five. No, no concern about my, if, if I go back down too early, like that's always a risk in hockey. What, what my risk, my concern, if I go back to Bennington is if they humble, my opponent humbles my ace in the hole early, does my team want to be here enough to fight back? Does that discourage them? Does that take the wind out of their sails? I'm talking about the unique psychological impact of this moment. And this is what I love about playoff hockey. Like I, I totally see your side of the yeah. argument. I do. And yet, for me, I, like, I'm just riding my horses. I'm riding the guys that got me to the Stanley Cup final. Everybody in and around that St. Louis Blues team that covers this team talks about Bennington having this innate ability to bounce back after poor performances. Yep, now, it didn't happen for him in game number two, but game two went to overtime, right? Like, I mean, talk about a coin flip. He wasn't good in game one. The Stetcher goal still stinks <laughs> all these days later. But, you know, I, I thought Bennington was okay in game number uh, two, I mean, he needed to make a stop somewhere along the line, and it didn't happen for him. But, you know, they all talk about this resolve, and this is one of the things that everybody just blew them away was this guy's ability to bounce back. He's sat, he's watched, he's probably stewing on the bench, he's a competitor, he wants to play. You know, again, I'm not Craig Berube, he's not going to ask me for my advice on this one, but if I'm in that position, I think I go with the guy uh, that has his name on the Stanley Cup as the starter proven in the playoffs a year ago i know that the environment is different here but if i'm going down i'm going down with what i think are my best players so this is gonna be fascinating i we probably yeah, won't know you know we probably like everything else again it, it brings the value of watching warm-up uh you know back into question because it's gonna be something like who's leading the blues out of the tunnel onto the ice like that'll be a big big storyline ahead oh, of nice. number six. and it's a story i'll get <laughs> <laughs> yes let's go 50 retweets um <laughs> uh, very very seriously though i i just want to note two things one is bennington's at one of those out of nowhere goaltenders right and he's one of those guys who doesn't tend to lose consecutively and i know that the way markstrom's wired having had a similarly non-traditional path to the nhl and similarly prioritizes winning above all else. Like I don't think Markstrom could tell you his save percentage, right? Like he's one of those guys. It's, it's a winner. It's a loss and kind of, and, and he hates bad goals, but he hates bad goals because they contribute to losing. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's so laser focused on does his team win or not? I think to be in this series, to be at this point, And we're talking about the blues goaltending situation like this. And there's just no shadow of a doubt about who Vancouver's starter is, even when Markstrom has an off game. You know, what an edge. What an edge that the Canucks have right now. And it's an edge that they may have over Vegas. Honestly, it's an edge that they might have over Colorado. Like, Bishop's hurt, too, for Dallas. 
uh, Cam Talbot starting for Calgary with David Riddick on the on the bench. They're only a couple bad goals away from sort of questioning their starter. Of the teams remaining in the Western Bubble, there is one team who we know every game who the starter is going to be and why. Right? Yeah. That's yeah, one no, massive amen. edge that the amen Canucks have that. going. And Markstrom, Markstrom, I think has a ton of respect for Bennington. I bet this means a lot to him. And when you consider how he's played, when you consider what he's meant to this team, when you consider his performance in this playoffs to this point, which has just been fucking spectacular. What an unbelievable edge for Vancouver to have at this point in the series and, and going forward in the playoffs. And this, by the way, is a big reason, a big reason motivating why the Canucks went in to try and protect their position at the deadline and got Tyler Toffoli. Like a big thing in the back of their head was how often do you get to go into the playoffs with a starter this hot rolling like this? Like that matters. Anything can happen. It was a big part of why they did that. And it was a big part of why this team's at this point with a chance to uh, eliminate the defending Stanley Cup champions. Uh, you know, as, as much as we've talked about green and as much as we've talked about all the other factors on the ice, there's one thing the one consistent thing that's gotten the Canucks here, the thing that matters the most, Jacob Markstrom playing absolutely out of his mind. He was unbelievable again in game five. And like, I'm glad you brought that up. I think it's important to underscore that, you know, we're not throwing the bouquets at Travis Green. We're not going on and on about Jake Vertanen doing what he did in Tyler Mott unless Vertan, or unless Markstrom makes those stops that he did yep. early in the second period. Like, yeah, it's a shitty goal that got past him uh, to make it 2-1 to one in the final minute of the first. But again, that just kind of adds to the story that, you know, it would have been easy for the Canucks to kind of fold a little bit and think, oh, it's not our night. You know, Riley's getting all the bounces, whatever the case. Then the Blues come out and they add to their lead at 3-1. to one. And that's why I thought, like, the, the save on Della Rose is the one that's going to be seen on repeat on highlight reels. But, you know, it, it's 2-1 to one at that point. And then Sutter takes the penalty and they score to make it 3-1. to one. It was the save on Thomas because if yes. Thomas scores, it's four to one, and I'm sorry, the Canucks aren't coming back. They're just not like no. a four-one lead at that point. The Canucks are wallowing in their misery, and Vertana was just, <laughs> Markstrom was just fighting like hell, and to make that stop, you know, it's a two-goal deficit, two-goal lead, worst lead in hockey, whatever the case. Like I, I really did think that you know if you're trying to boil it down to a singular moment that was a turning point, I thought it was the save flashes that right pad out. Thomas should have scored. Look, we spent a lot of time before this series talking about, you know, differences that we thought maybe the Blues had an edge. Robert Thomas was one of them and he was the pretty, main one. He's had a pretty quiet series. I think very Col quiet. I think Colton Pareko's had a pretty disappointing series to this point as well. All my guys betraying me, J Pat. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stand with you. Uh, I'll stick with you. <laughs> um I look, I I how telling is it? that the save off Thomas where it bounced off the linesman or the ref, right? Was what both Vertanen and JT Miller cited immediately as like the moment that the game turned for them, right? Post game. Yeah. And the way that in post game comments, everyone brought it back to what Markstrom had done, right? I thought that speaks volumes. Like, boy, is it ever clear which Canucks player gets the big piece of chicken at the dinner table, right? Like, it's Markstrom. Markstrom is the bottom line for this team. As long as he doesn't and... have to fight you for it. <laughs> oh, boy. He, he'll, he'd just give me that icy stare 
<laughs> and I don't know. I don't know. I might. It depends on if it's a leg or not, because you know how much I like to <laughs> tear into those legs. Anyway, Markstrom gets the big piece of chicken. He's the leader on this team. He's playing out of his mind and just unbelievable. Just It's honestly unbelievable, and it's an edge that the Canucks are going to have in the not just over the balance of this series, but in any subsequent series they face. And, and to have reached this point in his career, you know, considering like, you know, Brown to Beret, right? An old, an old rival of mine, an old guy I like to go at on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, and and a and a noted bad take haver. I just want to note that too. <laughs> Mentioned that he, you know, he he claimed to me the other day that he'd never been wrong about a player before, except Markstrom. And I replied to him. So were twenty nine other teams that passed on this guy on waivers, and frankly, so was the thirtieth team that put him on waivers in the first place. Right? Yeah. right? Like yeah. this was yeah. a guy who cleared waivers. Four years ago. And now I'm talking about him being an advantage that the Canucks will have over every team remaining in the western side of this bracket and over the defending Stanley Cup champions in in a game six and a game seven. Like, what an unbelievable path this man has taken. He's just playing outrageous hockey, too. Unbelievable. Clearly, clearly getting the big piece of chicken in this Canucks room right now. Um delivering the mustard on and on whatever idiom you want markstrom's delivering <laughs> uh we like to think we're delivering here at the vancast as well we'll continue to do this after uh, every game here in this series certainly so uh, we'll get you a special pod on the weekend as we've done the last couple of weekends as well after game number six and we'll either be previewing uh, one game winner take all or we'll be talking about the canucks advancing uh, in the bubble into the second round of the Stanley Cup final. The Jeez. Canucks sounds like they get a little bit of good news here to answer. Just to, to finish up on Edler, it's always so scary. Anytime a skate comes up anywhere near anybody's face. And, oh. uh, you know, you, you see it in real time and you don't really get a grasp. And then you see the replays. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't great, obviously. He leaves the game and he didn't come back. Travis Green said afterwards they thought he was going to come back. But the reports out of the bubble today are that you know, it sounds like he should be good to go in Game 6 for the Canucks. So that's uh, good news for Vancouver. They've got enough injuries that uh, they've got to deal with. But, uh, man, like, there's just that split second when you see Skate making contact with a guy's head that you kind of get that pit-in-the-stomach feeling. And so uh, glad to hear that uh, Edler sounds like he's on on the road to recovery. Yeah, and they're going to need him. I mean, (laughs) they're going to need him, and they're going to need him bad. Uh, But... But you know, a lot of a lot of players stepped up in in his absence. One of whom, Jordy Ben, had an unfortunate sort of own goal moment. Um, you know that I'm sure hurt, especially considering the season he's had and the recent return that he's made and the training camp that he missed. Like, but over that second and third period, like Jordy Ben was a big part of what this club accomplished last night. Played really well, rebounded from that. Um, full credit to him. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, this this club needs Alex Edler. They do not, especially with Myers out of the lineup right now, have the defensive depth to sustain that injury. And, and boy, you know, when Edler left the ice, and you can see in the building the doctors walk off, and they were gone the whole third period. Like, two of the three doctors, all three were gone for a point, but two of the three doctors were gone the whole game. And, you know, that, until the updates from, from our colleague Rick Dollywall today, uh, you know, that that sort of image of of those empty seats sort of lingered with concern in my head just because just that you're right. I mean, this is a sport with 
where people play with blades on their feet. That was a scary moment. It's good to hear that he should be all right. Uh, a reminder that you've got a piece up uh, about uh, the coaching decisions, the the gamesmanship in warm-up. Uh, you were up late uh, again, pushing it uh, as you continue to crank out content from the bubble. So people should check that one out. We should mention as well, uh, you did a Q&A with Dan Hamhuis, who announced his retirement a week ago or so. Uh, that was posted earlier in the week. Uh, Dan is joining Craig Custance this week on the full 60 to celebrate his career and the retirement that he announced uh, last week. So you can check that out uh, if you're looking for other pod material that uh, has a, a Canuck connection. You can hear from Ham Hughes in his own words. Uh, as always, we tell you to check out our comments section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. And don't forget, rate and subscribe The Vancast on Apple. Click on the website, theathletic.com slash thevancast to get 40% off your subscription. Drancer, enjoy uh, a day without uh, Canuck hockey, although there is uh, well, there's no daytime hockey, which is a little weird. No. But that's what happens oh, when great. series... Oh, thank goodness. No, I know. I, I hear I you. I have time to work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious, man. I haven't had time in the day to work. Like, it's hard for me to work at the rink, I find, just because I want to watch. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, and... Uh, but, but more importantly, J-Pat, I've got a very rare interview with a famous former Canuck that I'm very excited to do in about 40 minutes after we're done recording here. Uh, this is uh, this is one of the harder gets in the are we playing? Are we playing Name That Canuck again? Sure. Do you want to? No. Okay. No. Um, <laughs> um, this, this, this man, clearly most famous for his Canucks tenure, uh, happens to be a six-foot-six Swedish centerman. <laughs> you got it? I do, I think. Yes. <laughs> anyway. I've, I've got an interview with Matt's for a thing I'm working on with Jeremy Rutherford. Um, very excited to share that with the VIPs and very excited to chat with Matt Sundin today. Oh, I thought it was Matt Lindgren, but... Uh... <laughs> no, oh, oh, all right. Oh, uh, damn. Oh, Zero yeah. points awarded. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, little rusty. little rusty when it tie comes breaker, to that. tiebreaker. Uh, that was... <laughs> <laughs> no. no. Uh, of course right. not. Of course well, not. Well, I look forward to that. I'm sure the VIPs do as well. And looking forward to Game 6, the Canucks oh, with a man. chance to close out. The St. Louis Blues, and we will be back with a new VanCast, a special weekend edition win or lose. We'll be back to reflect on game number six and see where the Canucks go from there. For Drancer in Edmonton, it's J-Pat in Vancouver. Thanks so much for listening, as always, to the VanCast here at TheAthletic and TheAthletic.com.